Gentlemen, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach. I'm the founder and curator of this uh, wonderful show. At least I think it's pretty wonderful. We started a couple of years ago after having a lot of conversations with our friends about um, Christian manhood and what it means to be a man. And, and honestly, looking around, myself in particular, looking around and realizing I was not the man I wanted to be. And I was not becoming the man I hoped I would be in the future. And so we started pouring into the Word of God, started reading a lot of books on Christian manhood and talking to other men about about being men of God, leaning into the mentors in our lives that God had provided to us. And this is what kind of came out of it. So this is our journey that we're sharing with you toward Christian manhood. I get to bring all kinds of other men on here to talk about wonderful things. Today's guest is Mr. Ken Cherney. You're going to learn all about him in a couple of minutes. Um, he does some wonderful things, some really cool things. I really enjoyed sitting down with him. Uh, it was such a joy to sit down and he's got this like workshop and we were up in the, like this office above the workshop. It was super cool. Um, he's a passionate man. He loves what he's doing. He loves people and he cares deeply about the people he serves and he cares deeply about the word of God and his family. And it was, it was a blessing to sit um, at his feet, truly a tender warrior. It was, it was great to spend time with him. Uh, if you're enjoying the things that you hear on this podcast, though, make sure you're sharing it with other people. Follow us on social media, especially Facebook and Instagram. We put a lot of stuff up there. Make sure you're talking about it, getting more men to listen to shows like this, uh, where they're going to be encouraged to grow as men of God. If you uh, feel it on your heart to contribute to the podcast, of course, we don't charge you anything for this content, um, but it does cost money to put it together. So if you would like to contribute, you can do that by going on Patreon. All that information is at the end of the show, or you can sponsor an episode or a series of episodes. Just get a hold of me, let me know, um, and we will hook you up with what you need. With that being said, gentlemen, we're going to get into the show right after a word from today's sponsor. Um, God's blessings. I hope this is edifying for you and uh, encourages you along your road toward godly living and godly manhood. Here we go. Hello, this is Seth and Jenna Herlick, and we are also known as Him and Her Worship. We are also the creators of the What Do I Know podcast, where we talk about life while having very little life experience ourselves. We are a normal couple passionate about lighting hearts on fire for Jesus, who just happened to play music. We write our own original worship music, and we play in churches all around the country, and we'd love to connect with you. We have lots of ways for you to do that. On Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify, we are at Him and Her Worship, and we have a website, and we are himandherworship.com. Also, check out our podcast at Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. God bless you. Thanks so much for your time, and we cannot wait to meet you in person. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, guest today is Mr. Ken Cherney. What's up, Ken? Oh, it's Cerny. Cer- oh, Cerny. I'm sorry. Cerny, there we go. That's, that's okay, the background. So it's not a CH. Well, the background is uh, from the from uh, Czechoslovakia area where it would have been a CH. Okay. So it, okay. people throw that in there, which is amazing. But it would be pronounced, even with the CH back in Czechoslovakia, it'd be Cerny, right? No, there would be Cerny. Oh, there would be Cerny. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it was huh. Americanized years ago when my grandfather moved, to, or his parents moved over here, and it's Cerny now. Yeah, so like intentionally Americanized, or it just kind of happened, or uh, probably intentionally. 
Um, you can, if you look at, we actually got a list of their uh, of of the family that came over here on the on the ship. So we got the manifest from the ship, and all of their names were changed slightly to Americanize them. Huh. Yeah. And is that just to like kind of protect themselves from being? I don't know. So like you uh, you hear about stuff like that a lot with like Irish or German immigrants or Polish immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, during particularly times where the U.S. was at war, at odds with, with those countries. Is it that kind of thing or just to... uh No, I think back then um, the best we can do tell is that uh, people did that anyways. They, okay. they wanted to become American. They, they, they moved over here to become American, and so they changed their names to fit in with a more American yeah. sound. Okay. Um, and I think that was just natural for yeah. them in those days. Yeah, well, I, I can understand it too. Understand that, was right it too. About, that was right about the... Uh, about the turn of century is when they immigrated over here. Awesome, so. cool. So, you, uh, why don't we talk about your background a little bit? Sure. You uh, fly helicopters. I do. How do you get into flying <laughs> helicopters? Um, the way I did it was uh, kind of a roundabout way, and uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't a direct line. I, I seemed to do things the hard way. Um, but what I ended up doing uh, is I joined the National Guard uh, while I was still in high school. So in 1978, you can figure out how old I was from there. <laughs> um, but uh, 1978, I joined the National Guard. I was a senior in high school. Um, I went to uh, basic training that summer for the infantry. I was in an infantry unit here in Wisconsin. And um, while I was a member of the infantry, I was dating uh, a girlfriend who went to high school also. That's another another story. <laughs> uh, Usually is. Yeah. <laughs> Usually is. We're still married, so it, it worked ah, out. Ah, there you go. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and uh, she was going to college, and uh, I kind of I would go up and visit, and I thought this was a really cool place. I wasn't planning on going to college myself. Um, and so uh, when I got back, uh, I, I started from basic training. I started uh, roofing houses, and I realized, you know, there's something <laughs> easier I could probably do, but I, yeah. as much as I enjoyed that. I ended up going back to college or going to college myself. So I joined her uh, Stevens Point, and um, while I was there, I said, "Hey, you know, there's ROTC here. I can become an officer." Uh, so I did that, and then uh, then uh, one day somebody was walking by, and they said, "Well, where are you going?" I, oh, I'm going to go take the pilot's test. I said, "The what?" I said, "Yeah, you, know, you got to take a test in order to try to become a pilot in the army." And I had been reading a lot of books on piloting when I was growing <laughs> up in high school and middle school. And so I thought, hey, that sounds good. So I, I said, well, do I got room for another one? And so without any planning, without any thinking about it, without any preparation or, or test preparation, like uh, I went and took this aptitude test, um, scored quite high. And the guy that I asked a question of, he failed. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt bad, but... Uh, isn't that how it usually goes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I did that. Um, got Went through ROTC while I was in college. Um, I ended up graduating from there. And um, at about the same time that uh, things worked out that I just kind of walked into an aviation assignment, um, a piloting assignment. And so as soon as I graduated from college, my wife and I then at that time, uh, we did get married while we were in college. And we ended up going down to Fort Rucker, Alabama to become a pilot. There you go. And uh, the rest is kind of history, although it still was kind of a, a unique <laughs> history. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So do you get to choose, like, when you uh, qualify for, when you take a test like that and you qualify, do you get to choose, like, I want to fly, you know, jets or I want to fly helicopters or, or do they pretty much assign that for you? Yeah, in the, in the Army, everybody everybody starts out as a helicopter pilot. Okay. Um, and because that's what we have. Uh, 
primarily in the Army. Uh, I wanted to fly Air Force, uh, but uh, there was a there was a moment while I was going through flight school that I knew I was in the right helicopter, or I knew I was in the right aircraft when I'm flying, and we're, we were actually flying and practicing Napody Air flying, NOE flying. So we're probably about 10 feet over a bunch of trees, flying through this river valley, a riverbed, um, down in southern Alabama, and uh, doing maybe 10 or 15 knots, just you know, at a slow hover, moving along, working my way down, just trying to stay at the same altitude above the trees. And there's a lot of work involved with that when you're you know, you're a student. And uh, as I was as I was doing that, all of a sudden my instructor pilot says, you know, and and this is normal. That, oh, I got the controls. So it's like, okay, you have the controls, and and then they say I have the controls. So there's always a positive transfer, yeah. but. He took the controls from me real fast, turned the aircraft sideways, and with the door, we already had the doors off the aircraft so we can see better. He turned the aircraft sideways, and we started hovering sideways with me in the front, and he said, look out your door. And I looked out my door, and uh, I don't know how many people remember Marlon Perkins and Wild Kingdom. And I'm flying along, and here's this big buck bouncing through the trees, maybe 15 feet below us. Wow. And we're hovering right behind him, chasing him through the the little cut down trees and through the grass <laughs> and everything. Awesome. I'm right where I need to be. This is this to me was the best place to be. Uh, flying a jet, going up high, that's cool. Um, but uh, this is really, this is really cool. That's awesome. So you get, like, is this like a full sideways tilt, or like uh, how do you how do no, you do that? <laughs> when when he was doing that, no, he just just uh, use a tail pet tail rotor and you turn your turn basically you turn yourself sideways and you start hovering sideways. Uh, that's what helicopters can do. It's huh. it's uh, we we don't have to go forward. That's uh, crazy. We can go backwards. We can go forwards. We can go sideways. We can go up and we can go down. So how do you force the like? How do you force the aircraft to stay up then? Like how do you, how do you stay airborne? <laughs> um, where where an airplane uses its wings to grant to create lift. Yeah. Um, a helicopter still has those, that same theory behind it except we spin the blades, which are basically wings that we spin. And mm -hmm. by spinning them like that at, at fast enough speeds, we create the lift right. that we need. And so that if, if you've ever watched a helicopter fly, you can see that there's a, there's a disc or there, that there's something above it, and you, everybody knows that those are the blades spinning around, and, and they're creating basically a plate, a disc. Yeah, and where that disc is, you can you can you basically are controlling the direction that disc is is leaning, and as you if you can keep it flat, you're going to hover, okay. and it's just going to fly, and it's going to stay up at a hover because we are spinning the the wings, if you want to call it that. Right. We're spinning those wings at the speed that an airplane would have to fly to have to have in order to fly. We're just oh, doing okay. it by spinning them around in circles at real yeah. high speed. So they're moving at about 400 miles per hour, roughly. Those blades are spinning around at the tip, and they're creating lift. And what we end up doing, and what's difficult about a helicopter, is we have to manipulate those blades in such a manner that they stay where we want them to be. So if we want to go forward, we take that whole disc, or that whole plate, if you will, and we tilt it forward, Yeah. and the whole aircraft goes forward. Okay. Yep. So um, if we right. want to hover, and like this one was, we were hovering uh, sideways. He, you take, you have the basically the same thing as a tail rotor. Okay. So you can, you can, using your pedals, your foot pedals, you turn the back end of your of your helicopter sideways, and okay. now you just 
control that plate to fly sideways as opposed to flying forward. Oh, forward. so you're going like this. We're going sideways. Oh, and it's okay. just a ro- And it's just a rotor system. It's not the actual aircraft. The actual aircraft is hanging straight down below. Okay. And so all we're doing is tilting tilting cool. that disc above us, and we're following. We're, we're going to hang below that thing regardless right. of where it goes. It's just a matter of right. we tell it where to go. Yeah. So it's almost like the opposite of the way I was like thinking about helicopters is being like you're driving this thing. Like, you know, ah, okay. So you're, you're saying the right thing. It's just if you if you take lift and you tilt it forward, you yeah. now have thrust. Right. So now you're moving that way. Cool. And that's all you're doing is changing the direction of that lift, changing the direction of, of what's of uh, where you're going yeah so you uh you were active duty then at that point i was i started out active duty i spent uh i was a national guard again when i started i spent five years there part of that time was while i was a cadet or as a a student in school Mm -hmm. went on active duty to fly i spent 11 years active duty flying um i started out uh, flying cobra helicopters uh, gunships um and uh, that was my first assignment Went back to be an instructor pilot in Cobras, so I spent three years then teaching people how to fly, which was, um, if you want to know how to do something, teach. <laughs> it, it really makes you better at what you do because you have to think about what you're telling people, and, right. and that's, that goes against what a lot of people say, where if you can't do, you teach. Mm. Um, if you really want to know how to do it right, teach. I agree. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta know how to do it right. Now, there's bad teachers out there that teach the wrong things. But if you want to teach them right, you know, you got to put a lot of effort into it, um, and that goes into a lot of my my other life. Um, so I left, I left uh, there, went over to Korea. Um, while I was in Korea, um, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, do a couple unique things. I was a I was, a, I was a company commander over there, so I had seven Cobras and, f- and uh, five scout helicopters. And uh, we actually protected uh, President Clinton when he came over there and stood on the bridge of no return uh, and, uh, between the two Koreas. So we were b- right behind them, fully armed up, um, in case something stupid would happen right. on that, on that, uh, right. on that, in, in that area. Um, I left there, came back, went to language school in Monterey, California. Now this was a a family th- that was that was kind of directed by family life is uh, I was actually planning on going into special operations uh, aviation um the opportunity to come and have a better family life came up and so I ended up going that route instead which really kind of changed the whole aspect of my career um shortly after that they told me they I probably would not get promoted to major and I did not so I ended up getting out of the army so I got out of the Army in uh, 1996 after 11 years on active duty. Um, stayed in the Army Reserve. Um, I was in the Army Reserve unit uh, in Green Bay. Um, stayed there for two years and just couldn't find a job. Uh, so I was kind of struggling. Um, and so I applied for active, active Guard and Reserve, basically active duty with an Army Reserve unit. Um, and you have usually about three to four active army folks in a, in a reserve unit. So I applied for that. They ended up finding out that I was a, also a pilot, an aviator, and so they actually hired me on active duty, but put me back in an aviation assignment where I learned, where I finally got into the Apache helicopter. Okay. Um, we went over to Bosnia. 
Um, came back. I went into ROTC as an as an ROTC instructor myself, and then I finished up my career as the chief of leadership training for the Army Reserve, um, where I learned about personality types, and I learned about how that affects the things that we do, as opposed to oh, this is a really fun thing like a horoscope, and uh, it yeah. doesn't mean anything, you know. Right. And but it means a lot more than that, and that's something that I've really been working a lot on. So. So that's kind of that was my army career. Yeah. Um, Twenty-eight years later, I ended up retiring. Um, uh, and uh, when I retired, I thought I'd start a business, so I started Leader Team Dynamics. Um, and I discovered that nobody knows who I am, so nobody was hiring <laughs> me. <laughs> so it was also during the recession there in the in the in the uh, you know the, the early part of the two thousand. Um, the recession was starting to kicking in, and uh, that was the first thing that most people did not have money for was learning this neat stuff about, you <laughs> know, this touchy-feely stuff about human uh, humans. And uh, so I wasn't doing so well. The nice thing was I had a friend of mine who started this uh, air medical base up mm-hmm. here in Wausau, and uh, one day he found out that I was looking for a job because now I needed to get to make some money. <laughs> And uh, he said, hey, do you have your pilot's license or your, your commercial pilot's license? I said, yes, I do. I said, he said, well, do you want to come, do you want to come fly? We got an opening. And uh, it was, it was that, that was history. That was 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. Um, and uh, I've been flying up here in Wausau or in, and sometimes over in Cleveland um, ever since. Yeah. And how big is your radius here that like you fly? Like how far will you go to pick somebody up? We go uh, we go up to the UP uh, quite a bit. Um, Ironwood, Iron River, Ontonagon, Michigan, uh, Houghton, um, up to Keweenaw up there. Um, we deliver to Marquette. We deliver to uh, Rochester. Um, most of if if the hospital here in Wausau can't deal with it, we're usually taking them down to Madison or Milwaukee, um, or um, if there's a uh, you know somebody has a precondition uh, pre-existing condition that they that they want to go back to where they got that like uh, 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 organ transplants and they're now they're having troubles that's where we fly them to Rochester or, or to uh, okay. Minneapolis or you know some of those other big places where they do um, organ transplants yeah and so we cover a pretty good part of the state um, our typical territory however is uh, north central and northeast Wisconsin okay Alright. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are. So next time I see a helicopter flying in WLC, I'll wave just in case. Yeah, yeah. We'll see <laughs> awesome. So it, this is a privately owned company? Um, PHA Air Medical is the company I work for. Um, mm. They actually started out as a, a splinter company off of a PHI Incorporated, which is a lot of letters. Uh, <laughs> PHI stands for Petroleum Helicopters Incorporated. That's okay. where that's the way they started, and they're one of the first helicopter companies ever created as a helicopter company to support oil and gas exploration down in uh, Louisiana initially, and then the Gulf of Mexico. And so that's where the big company we call them, uh, you know, the big the big company that that I work for. Um, they they separated us out for FAA requirements. Um, they separated the Air Medical Group from. Um, oil and gas simply as a way to meet some of the requirements that FAA mm. puts on us that are different from 
what they do with oil and gas and going out to oil rigs and stuff like that. Right. So uh, Air Medical is now, we got about 60 bases across the country and across the world, actually. And uh, that our Air Medical bases that uh, we fly either with hospital employees, which is the way we fly, or they actually have their own employees uh, that that uh, handle the paramedic and the nursing Sweet. in the back. How how, uh, how much do you get, do you like usually know what's going on in the back, or is it pretty much just like, hey, get us there? It's, as can. <laughs> yeah, it's it's different with each with each with each base. Um, we fly as a single pilot with two uh, with two medical crew members, usually a nurse and a paramedic in our helicopter. Um, I leave the intercom on all the time, so as they're talking back there and and they're doing stuff with the patient, I'm usually trying to stay quiet and and not bother them. Um, if I need to talk on the radio, um, I'll tell them, hey, I got to talk on the radio, and then they st- they stop talking for a minute or two. Or if they're busy, I just simply I can I can actually disconnect them electronically from uh, the radios, and uh, so I can talk on the radio and they can continue to work with the patient. But there's amazing things going on back there, and I <laughs> sure. I hear it and I hear the the you can hear the stress and the frustration sometimes um, as they're working with the patient, and that's just it's it's a really cool part of the being a part of that. Yeah, well, it seems like that probably ties pretty closely into what you're doing with leader team dynamics right yeah it does um yeah leader team dynamics was built around learning about personalities and that's kind of where i started it um i use uh i use you know there's there's a lot of different personality assessments out there uh probably one of the most popular ones or the most well known is myers-briggs type indicator um and that's kind of where i started uh but there are other ones out there like uh, temperament theory um with uh, david kiersey made that popular um and uh, and I've gotten into some of the other ones. Um, the most recently, I've been working with uh, with the temperament theories, but also with something called risk type compass, which kind of looks at our personality from our willingness to take risks. And so that's a different direction with it. Um, so it it comes up with slightly different focus on who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been involved with and, and have uh, am, am certified in emotional intelligence, which that's kind <laughs> of the you know for big business emotional intelligence is kind of the uh, uh, the, the new big thing. Yeah. Um, along with DISC, um, uh, I'm DISC. not. DISC. What is DISC? DISC is a uh, another way of looking at who you are, but it it really talks about how you interact with other people. So okay. that's a slightly different perspective. Um, I use I use other ones to do the same thing, um, so there's several different there's several different ones out there, and I, I try to combine them. So I try to make it so that what I work with can be looked at from different perspectives. So as I'm talking to somebody, we can go many different ways. Um, if it if something confuses you, I'll just change direction and and, and go someplace someplace else. Um, so so that's kind of where I started with the business um, was trying to look at that, and I was I was I. I was looking at working with businesses and trying to help them communicate better. And it's all about communications, really, when I talk about this. Um, well, as I started flying, and we started getting to something called air medical resource management. Um, also, crew resource management is, is kind of where that came from, out of the airlines. Air medical resource management basically says, you're a pilot, you have two other people in the aircraft, or three or four, however many people you have in the aircraft, why don't you use them to help you make good decisions instead of 
just making a, a decision that sounds good to you, but you might not have all the information that you need to make it a good decision. And so um, over the years, there have been plenty of crashes because somebody made a decision when they didn't know that something else was going on, and somebody else did, but they were afraid to say it. And so we get into what's called Air Medical Resource Management, or AMRAM, and this is something that the FAA has mandated that we do the training every year. So through PHI or Medical, I got involved with the AMRAM training because I like that kind of stuff. And I started learning about AMRAM a whole lot more. And again, from a teacher's perspective, I learned that there's more to it than just sitting in class and going, oh, don't do it that way, do it this way, and you'll stay safe. Um, and, uh, and so I started really enjoying that. And I introduced temperaments into our company's AMRAM training, and they, they ate it up for a while. Well, people like to move on. So we, <laughs> we change our AMRAM bump every year. In fact, next month I'll be going to my next year's, this year's coming up training for our new rollout of our this year's class. Okay. Um, but in the process of doing that, I realized that this personality stuff that I've been talking about and the communications that I've been talking about and, and this AMRAM stuff is all a part of the same thing. So I started focusing more on how our personalities affect crew members. Well, that got me, somebody else said, hey, why don't you do a class at the Air Medical Transport Conference? I said, okay, <laughs> that's a challenge, I'll do that. So they, they threw out a challenge for me. I had this thing about personalities and I took it to there and I had no idea what I was getting into, but I presented a one hour class at, a, at this conference. And I've been doing that ever since. So I've done five years now at that conference. I then expanded out to the Helicopter Association International and started doing a safety class for them also. My problem was always that I'm paying my own way to go to these. Oh. <laughs> and uh, this is getting expensive just to talk. So this last year at the, at the Helicopter Association International Heli Expo, I presented a full, a full day class. So I, did, I do a now full day workshop on how personalities affect our way, willingness to take risk, and then you get stress involved because of what we do, and how does the stress affect our decision-making process, and I've used different accidents to demonstrate how that all fits together. And this, this last one I had went over very well. It's just, uh, and, and it actually paid for my whole trip. So that's about <laughs> all it did. Um, it paid for my trip, and it's going to kill me in my taxes. But other than go. that, I have a good time doing that. Yeah. So um, when you talk about different, like what, uh, I'm looking at your thing here. You've got four different, uh, so how, how, do you mind going into like what you talk about a little bit? Sure. Um, I start out today, and I, when I, by starting out today, I talk about initially about who they are. So it doesn't matter whether I'm teaching uh flight crews or students. Um, I actually worked with uh, Northland Lutheran, and we, we actually, I taught the uh, personality types to the entire, the entire school, uh, awesome. which, was, which is another whole interesting story when you got 80 people in, in a classroom <laughs> and you're trying to talk to them individually. Um, so I work with students, uh, work with leadership uh, team with the, cha the local chamber of commerce also, um, and we talk about personality. So the first thing to do before you, before I do anything about how you, how your personality affects what you do is to figure out who you are. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so we look at the personality type. And we, I, use, I use these theories and use these assessment tools, but what I really want you to understand is who you are. I don't care if you remember the letters. I don't care if you remember the, the, what your name, what the name is. You know that that's immaterial. Um, that's all useful for simply talking about who you are. So we get to know we get to know each other or them, ourselves first. Then we look at how we interact with other people theoretically. And as I'm talking theory, I usually get people laughing, giggling. Yeah. Oh, that's you. Oh, that's me. Oh, yeah. We have, no wonder we have so much problem. We talk into each other, and they start to understand a little bit more about how they interact with each other. Once we know how we interact with each other, then I start throwing in other things like, okay, now let's take a look at how you deal with risk um, and using the risk type compass. And we pull that out and we and we look at that. I actually did a bunch of uh, research with crew members and helicopter pilots. So now I have some research that is very, very specifically for this group of people I'm talking to. Um, so we look at risk types and how we tolerate different levels of risk, and then how we approach our dealing with risk. Um, when I was growing up, um, I actually did some work uh, with the DNR while I was still in high school down at uh, Devil's Lake State Park. Um, all those trails with the rocks and the, and the, and the, uh, the bark, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was I was hauling that with wheelbarrows when I was you know 17 years old, 16 <laughs> years old um, for the DNR. So uh, I did a, I did a, I moved a bunch That's of those. Awesome. Well, when when we were off duty, we would still go there and we'd spend a weekend there um, with with that group of people, and uh, I would climb the cliffs, and it wasn't un, it was not unusual for me to be out climbing. I had no idea. I didn't take ropes. I didn't have a I didn't have a helmet. I didn't have I had my I had my uh, you know my hat and keep the sun out of my eyes and I just climbed. Yeah. Um, usually turn the hat around so I can see what's above me, but uh, uh, I took risk and I took a lot of risk. Yeah. Um, my dad would have me up uh, working on a, you know, he would buy a barn to tear down so that they can use the barn boards. Well, guess who was the one that took the roof off? <laughs> that was me. Um, so I I was quite capable and and quite willing to take some pretty significant risks, um, and it didn't even phase me. Um, and that's a different type of personality from somebody who will still take risks, but they'll make sure that everything is very well organized and very, very structured so that the risks that they take are now so minute, even though they're taking an overall major risk, they've mitigated out all the little problems that might happen. Mm-hmm. Where what I was doing, I was doing the same thing. I just kind of winged it most of the time. <laughs> and it was so... Um, so that, that's so we we learn about how we do things and how we take risks and and how that all fits together and then we start looking at accidents and we, st- we I take a couple of the bigger accidents and that I that I can find a lot of information on and I make some assumptions on the pilots because typically these are now deceased so I make some assumptions on what might have gone through based on transcripts from uh, uh, from the uh, recorders or from transcripts from ATC and and some of the accident reports and so forth that they put together. Well, they never talk really about human factors. They never really talk about why mm. this person did what they did. So in, in one particular case, it's a helicopter that crashed in the Gulf of Mexico a few years ago that I used, and they killed everybody on board. And so the cause of the accident was vertigo and basically not being able to see anything. They went inadvertent into the clouds and, and and went upside down and crashed into the water. And so that's the cause of the accident. Well, 
what I tell them is, no, the actual cause of the accident was that they took off when they shouldn't have taken off. And that was a decision-making process. And so now I can talk about decision-making. And so, and so we talk about decision-making, how we communicate, what happened with other people, why didn't they communicate, why didn't they stop them. There was other people involved with, a lot of other people involved with this accident, but they didn't stop the accident aircraft from going when they never should have taken off to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, I roll this, and that's, that's really where I'm all about is, is the decision-making behind the accident. The risks are still there. The possibility of an accident or a catastrophic accident is still there, and death is still a member is still a, something that can always happen. But the decision making process is what I want to talk about, and that's what I get into. And and uh, like I said, this summer uh, we uh, I did the same or similar class for general aviation over at EAA Oshkosh. Um, I did a foreign, which was really kind of cool. Um, I grew up in that area, and so I've been around Oshkosh for many many years. Uh, but this year, I got a chance to go and actually talk and share my my thoughts. Yeah. So um, I don't know how easy it is to get into some of those different personality traits or or uh, like the different risk taking habits or sure. anything. Um, but can we get into that? A little yeah. Bit? Well, um, let me ask you a couple of questions. We'll sure. see. We'll see what kind of personality oh, okay. here we, we go. got here. Yeah. Here we go. Um, so as as you uh, go about and and you obviously are technologically. Um, proficient here (laughs) proficient maybe yeah yeah. proficient um how when you go about when you go about uh let's say playing a softball game or you don't know if you like to play sports um when you go about playing sports are do you just simply go and play um or do you make sure that it's well organized um or do you um make sure that you know exactly how to do everything correctly um, and, uh, for instance, the four, the four personalities you have on there, the st- stabilizer. Stabilizer is going to make sure everything is really well organized and make sure that everything is, is just right. Dress, right, dress, if you want to say that. Or, uh, you know, left foot in front of right foot, in front of left foot, in front of right foot, and this is the way to do it, and it's, and it's always going to be done that way. Um, on the other end of the, of the spectrum is the improviser, which is, like I said, just you're going to go out there and just have fun and just do it, and, and you're good at it, and you really don't know why you're good at it, and you really don't care why you're good at it. <laughs> you, just, you just know that, hey, this is a fun thing to do, and, and I like it, and I like to have the, you know, I like the experience, and I like to be out there in the sun. Um, then you have the, the uh, uh, then you have the, uh, yeah, the catalyst. The catalyst is people you like to be out there because there's a lot of people out there and you like to be a part of a large group of people and you like to talk to people and you like to share with some people and and you're you're kind of empathetic about you know what's happening with them and so you'd like to play you'd like to play sports but you you kind of hate to win because that means somebody else has to lose <laughs> yeah it's uh, not me <laughs> it's not you okay <laughs> now I, I say it that I way like to win. <laughs> yeah okay well, that's okay too but you don't necessarily push it in their face, right. and that's a catalyst. You're right. not gonna, you're not gonna. You like to win, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you did a good job. Um, the theorist, on the other hand, is they, they they wrote the book on it. So when they they go to play sports, they're gonna come out there and they're gonna tell you exactly how you should have done things. They're gonna tell you exactly where you should be standing. They're gonna tell you that that this person is always hitting to left field, so let's shift to the left, uh, or let's shift over to left field. Um, and you know the shift is on. You know that's that's a theorist. So when you watch Major League Baseball, those folks are they're they're using all that knowledge and and they're making some really big. That's typically a theorist. They they're really looking at strategically out there. So 
with those four different ones, where do you kind of think that you fall into in there? Probably fall into the theorist, especially like when I think about like teaching in particular. Okay. Like you lay out this plan, and I'm not afraid to just like every once in a while go go after it and get after it, but laying out a clear plan, making sure I understand why we're doing everything we're doing, explain to the kids why we're doing what we're doing, and then execute the plan. Okay. Yeah. So if you had a second choice, where would you go? Um, it'd probably what, what's be... What's kind of next? What's most, you know, what I'm looking at, it, and what we're talking about here is what's most natural for you, and then maybe what's next most natural for you? Um, the, the risk-tolerant one. The first one you said. The, impro- the improviser? The improviser, yeah. Okay. That improviser that sees the pants, just like, you just like being out there sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Now... Knowing a little bit about you now, now we can start. Now I can start asking some some more questions about, okay, how does how does uh, how do you how you specifically do things? For instance, when I if I transfer this now over to the risk uh, type compass, now it's a risk type compass means it's looking at you from a little different perspective, and it's looking at you from the perspective of how you look at risk, as opposed to, you know, how you work with people and how you organize things. Um, and so when you look at it from a risk type compass perspective, now what I'm hearing is that is that you like to um, like to be con- in control. You are in control, and when you do take risks, you take risks that you know you can deal with, and that you are probably pretty good at dealing with, um, and you probably prefer to do things that that um, you are probably better than a lot of other people at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when you and 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 you probably get frustrated when you have somebody that you're relying on and they just can't do what you want them to do. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> but you don't necessarily tell them exactly how to do it. Yeah, yeah you're just gonna say <laughs> you were wrong. Okay, yep. am I? Yeah, speaking? you're hitting okay. it right on the head. Okay, good. Now, uh, that's a fairly high risk taking per individual. Believe it or not, even though they. So basically what we have is a specialist. So if you look at it from a doctor's perspective, here's your brain surgeon. Your stabilizer is going to be more of your general practitioner. They want to take care of people, and they're going to kind of minimize the amount of risk involved in everything that's going on. Where the theorist is, and, the, and the, um, that type of risk taker is going to be more about taking risk, but risk that I've already researched, and I know exactly how to make sure that we minimize the risk. So they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. The improviser is also a risk taker. So now you have kind of your first and second uh, uh, personality type here is is kind of, they're kind of working together to take risk. Now the improviser will tend to wing it. And so when things kind of take a left turn and don't go necessarily the (laughs) the way you plan, there's two ways to think about that. One is, I should have had a plan, and I need to and I need to stop what we're doing and fix it. The other way is just to go wing it. Um, and so, by having improviser as your kind of your second most natural way of doing things, you might be very comfortable taking risks that way also. And so you might just simply say, okay, well, forget about all the plans. Let's just go do this, and you and you go do it, and it works out for you. Um, and so when when we when I talk about personalities, you know, I, like I said, this with you, it's like I try to work this out, and it's there's nothing magical about what I'm saying. It's it's mm-hmm. just observation, and uh, what happens with us is that we are not. I can't 
I can't put people into those four categories and say, okay, this is exactly how you are, Dar, <laughs> because right. you grew up differently than I did. You grew up differently than anybody else out there, and you learn different ways. So um, personality is a combination of who we were born to be, um, who God made us, and secondly, how we grew up, the classes we went to, the schools we went to, um, our parents, and how many times they cuffed us across the back of the head because <laughs> we did something stupid. Um, uh, or, or worse, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and all of that is, is kind of who we are. And so, yes, there are similarities. We can talk about those similarities, but I can never hit, I can never hit it exactly. And so if, if, when I talk about this, it's not always the same thing. Um, and so, uh, like I said, we, we started with the, with some commonalities so that we can talk about them and then. It's, it's more of who you are, you know, yourself. Um, so for me, I tend to be uh, the catalyst. I tend to be a people person. That's my first way of dealing with things. But I'm very quick at taking risks from a improviser kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. that's, that's where that climbing the rocks and climbing, you know, being on top of a roof and um, never bothered me a whole lot. But I was very good at watching what was going on. And I also monitor what other people are doing. And so I was constantly... Um, aware of the people around me, and that's the catalyst. So the two work very well together to create um, a way that I take risks. I tend to take more risk when I'm on my own. I tend to take a lot less risk when there's other people involved. Um, and that's basically on the fact that I, I'm, I'm a people person first. Right. So then, um, when you, how do you tie this into flying then, or you know, being leader of a business, or? Or any of those different things? Um, it doesn't really matter whether you're flying. I mean, there's a lot of pilots out there that say, I'm the pilot. In fact, I'm the pilot in command. I'm also, by the FAA definition, always responsible for anything and everything that happens with that aircraft. So first and foremost, if I make a mistake, it's all on my head. And so when they say pilot error, that's most of what I'm talking about. Um, Pilot error is what caused that Black Hawk helicopter to crash. Plain and simple, because the pilot in command was the final authority on whether they could fly or not. Um, I'm saying that there was something that got in the way of him making a good decision, and other people didn't necessarily. So that's where the crew comes in. So the crew comes in because they know what's going on. They're, they're not dummies out there. These guys may be nurses and paramedics, but they've been flying up here as long as I have in northern Wisconsin, and so when my crew says something is going on or something's different, I really pay attention to that. They know what the sounds are in that helicopter. They know what's going on around us. Mm -hmm. They know where we are. They, they, they know all of that. They may not know how to fly the helicopter, and I don't ever want them to touch the controls. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't ever want me to, to, to deal with the patient. So it's a mutual uh, exclusive there. Um, but other than that, they, they really know what's going on. And so if I don't listen to them, I'm failing. That's my failure. Um, if I don't listen to what's going on, and the business in business, it's very similar to that. Uh, servant leadership is really all about um, exactly that. The owner or the business leader is all about making sure that their employees or the the people that work for them are given what they need to do their job, and that's your job. It's not your job to tell them how to do their job 
maybe give them some classes and take you know that's mm-hmm. you know other than you know getting them started. But once they know their job, let them do their job. What your job is is to give them what they need to make sure they do it well. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing. Yes, you're in charge. If that business fails, guess whose fault it is? It's your fault <laughs> because you're the owner or you're the business leader or whatever. And so you're still in charge. You're still a, you have to make the final decisions. You have to make the right decisions. And your boss is going to hold you responsible, responsible, not those people that work for you. And so you don't just turn around and simply say, "Okay, you're going to do it my way." In fact, I had I had military leaders who did that, and we didn't get along well at all. <laughs> Because I am a little different than your typical military officer, um, but um, it, so it, it's about making sure that you listen to the people that are working for you because they're the experts. Um, you know, if you're once you get away from the, you know, I, I know pilots who are now in leadership positions; they're not flying anymore. And the longer you don't fly, the more you forget about the little things that happen. And so you listen to the people that are still doing the job mm-hmm. and and uh, being able to listen to them and take what they have to say into account when you finally make a decision, that's really key to making a good decision, whether you're in business or whether you're flying, flying an aircraft. Yeah. So um, how does that tie into the risk part? So is that uh, mostly how your, how your uh, risk-taking affects everybody else? Or so, like, what's what's the connection between the personality, uh, like determining your personality and your risk taking, you know, tendencies? How does that then apply to you know, like flying or or being a yeah business person? Um, we talked about I've been talking about temperaments. That was what right. we talked about for you, um, and that personality um, theory is is looking at core needs and the behaviors associated okay. with those core needs. So. Mm-hmm. What's important to me? What do I need to have from yeah. the people around me? And how do I behave because of I'm, meeting, I'm being met, those core needs are being met, or they're not being met? And that's what temperament's all about. Okay. Yeah. Well, this really made sense when uh, a, a lady by the name of Linda Behrens took the, the titles of the temperaments and changed them. And she calls them essential motivators. And I, I didn't appreciate that because initially it was... <laughs> Um, yeah, well, she changed the names so that she can, so that she can uh, copyright them and make money off them. Oh. And that was my first thought, and so I was very, you know, kind of skeptical. Skeptical, yeah. yeah. So I, I tried not to use them. Well, then I started listening to them, and I started working with this thing called risk type companies. And I started looking at people through the eyes of risk, and suddenly something clued me in that was what was missing from the risk type compass, which told us a lot about how we deal with risk wasn't telling us why we go beyond what we know is a safe risk or a, a, a risk that we can deal with. And then I, then I came back to essential motivators. Essentially, what's motivating an individual is our temperaments, the essential motivators, those core needs for us to maybe do more or to step out a little bit farther or to take a little bit larger risk or to maybe learn a little bit more and therefore the only way I can learn is by stretching it a little bit and going beyond what I can deal with. And so when I put the two together, now I have how we tolerate it, what what steps we take to deal with risk, but also what motivates us to either reduce the risk or to take more risk. 
and that's where the other that other theory kind of throws a, a a connection in there, and uh, and that's why I like to use multiple lenses, if you will, multiple assessments or multiple theories to put that all together. So uh, essentially, you're uh, just learning to recognize your own tendencies and the tendencies of people around you and the behaviors that tie into them so you can create a more cohesive environment. Yeah, and, and in fact, I, you brought up a really good point though with the recognition. Understanding when somebody else is stressed or somebody else is acting a little bit strange. Something is happening here, and stress is, is the last piece of the pie um, that I use, and I, and I talk about it from something called the stress effect, why good leaders make dumb decisions. It's another <laughs> book that I, that I carry around and I really listen to, and I've actually talked to that author quite a few times. Um, he, he's an, also a retired, uh, retired military officer. Oh, cool. he's a, he was a Special Forces guy back, back in Vietnam, so he knows a little bit about stress. <laughs> Um, and he, uh, he talks about it basically when you get to a point where all these stresses keep adding up, there comes a point where you can no longer make a good decision. In fact, your prefrontal cortex shuts down and your decision-making process just kind of stops where it's at. So if you were all along planning on going, our Blackhawk pilot was planning on taking off and going to do this mission at night with night vision goggles over the Gulf of Mexico where there's nothing to see and the weather got bad after he started picking up the or after he started the helicopter up the weather came in and got bad and he took off with weather that was way below what he should have been flying in because he was briefed at what the minimum weather was going to be but I think and and I have enough you know when you start rolling this all together that stress level got so high because of several things that were going on simultaneously that that the person that should have been making the decision no longer could make a decision to say no and to stop. And that's when the other people around you have to step forward and say, this is a dumb thing to do. There's another, there's another really good story called the Abilene Paradox. And the Abilene Paradox is following that same thought frame, and that's, that's my ultimate... Um, reason why accidents happen in this in this way when the decision making process gets gets hijacked because of stress you can't say stop everybody else is going well uh, you know the, the weather's <laughs> getting kind of bad i can't see very well well they're not really they're kind of hinting they're trying to get him to make a decision when he can't make the decision anymore understanding that this person is now stressed understanding what changed that this person is not acting normal now you come out with the very blunt, hey, this is beyond our, beyond our, below our minimums. We don't need to be out here flying. We need to land now. Getting very, very, very specific so that muscle memory and just, you know, I, you know, this, this, these are our orders in the military. Mm-hmm. You say, hey, it's a, it's, we're go, we're against, we're going against the orders. We need to be back on the ground, or we should not have, we should not be taking off. And uh, breaking through that mental process or mental barrier on the individual is how you help the yeah. decision maker to make a good decision. So you're you're pretty much like getting them out of their like fight or fight or flight and back into that reasoning, right? There you go. That's 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 exactly it. Yep. Instead of having just one of two choices, not, <laughs> or or make that other right. choice. You know, yeah. maybe they are stuck in the fight or flight. Well, yeah, we could keep going. We could fight this out, or 
we could flight, you know, to do the flight right. side of it and go and stop. Yeah. And we have to get them to change that mentality. Um, yeah. Or simply, or the other pilot that was on board needed to say, hey, I have the controls and force that, force that issue also. Those are things that longtime pilots, we know that very well. That, that's ingrained into who we are. And so when you can make it that simple, sometimes that's where it's got to be. And um, you, you have to be a lot more assertive and almost mm-hmm. aggressive when it gets to that point. And that's a really, that's a really bad place to be. But we have other people involved. And, and so the, my, my goal is to get those other people that are involved and get them involved not just in their part of the job, but into the, into the overall decision-making process. And, and so that, that works whether you're in a helicopter, whether you're in school, whether you're in a, on, a, on a football team or a soccer team or any other kind of team um, or in business. Uh, you know, that leader doesn't always have all the answers. Um, and so the leader has to recognize that too, um, which is sometimes hard for your personality type. <laughs> yeah, yes it <laughs> Accepting is. Accepting that you might be the one who's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another part of the, the equation, so... Yeah, awesome. Uh, so, what uh, in your experience, what um, characteristics make a good leader? What makes a good leader? A good leader is somebody who, first of all, never stops learning. Um, secondly, is somebody who is willing to teach their replacement. And that's a oh, weird that's a weird yeah. thing to think about in the military. Is I'm supposed to train my replacement? Well, a lot of people would say, "Oh, that's negative. That's not a good thing. I want this job forever." Well, your job is to learn the next level up, and so mm-hmm. that, that, it continues on. So um, never stop learning, train your replacement, and then listen to those around you. Um, if you can listen to those around you and take what they have to say into consideration, you're still going to make the final decision. I'm, I'm not relieving you of your, your final decision. That's a, that's a, Again, that's a, something that some pilots have a hard time with. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to now make a decision because what the, what the medic says in the back? No, you're going to still make the decision because of what you know. What they're going to hopefully provide you is more input, more information, um, and maybe a little different way of thinking about it. And uh, just a reminder that there is somebody else involved. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it, it, communications is what it's all about. Um, I like to talk about servant leadership. It's something that I've been looking at a little bit more, um, looking at maybe building a Bible study about you know servant leadership. and. Yeah. And um, trying to see if we can put together, you know, if I can put together a course on that. I've already put together kind of a biblically-based uh, course on personality types. Um, I'd like to expand that into uh, maybe a, a leadership course um, and see if I can kind of go that route a little bit. That's awesome. All right, as we finish up here, we got those two big questions we were talking about <laughs> earlier, right? Uh, so the first one is if you could go back and talk to your 18-year-old self, for five minutes, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Um, I can't really say it. On, on the, <laughs> <laughs> in front of, no. Um, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes over the years. and uh, But one thing that, that I think I did right was recognize opportunity. And so first thing I would say to myself is, that's good. You know, look at, look at opportunities around you and recognize when it's, a, when it's the right time to act. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was very fortunate. I was very fortunate in several instances that I was able to do that. And I, yeah. and I found an opportunity. It, it wasn't exactly what I was looking at doing, 
but realizing that this is a good way to go. You know, don't be afraid to take take risks like that. Um, you know, don't uh, don't be so afraid to do something <laughs> that you don't do anything. Right. Uh, and uh, good job for for uh, kind of coming out that way. Um, so 18 years old, really had no clue. I knew I wasn't going to go to college, and guess what? I have a master's <laughs> degree now. So. Yeah. Awesome. I like that you uh, like you gave them something positive, like, hey, this is something you're good at. Keep going. Yeah. A lot of times guys are like, don't do this. I'll stop doing that. And you're, you're an idiot. And <laughs> I well, like that. Like, the, recognize something you do well and say, hey, reinforce the, it. The, the other aspect of that is uh, uh, recognize that you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, and you're going to make more mistakes. So, <laughs> you know, give yourself a break. Good. All right, last question then. What does it mean to be a man, or what makes a Christian man? What makes a Christian man? Um, obviously, what makes a Christian man, first of all, is is understanding your faith and and recognizing that it's all it's got to it's got to be Christ centered. Um, my background comes from being uh, growing up Catholic, um, and uh, hey, I was an altar boy. Uh, I was I was up there, uh, and. Uh, so you have to you have to have faith in in God, and you have to have faith in your in Christ, and that's that's where obviously that's if you want to become a Christian and you be a Christian at all, you gotta you gotta be that way. To be a Christian man means that you have to demonstrate that people are watching you, um, people are are looking forward or looking up to what you have to say, and so. Recognizing again, going back to the, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to, you're going to screw up. Um, one example that I really remember a lot: I was an ROTC instructor. I was a major at the time, um, and I must have—I have no idea what the conversation was. On it was I was on the phone in my office. I usually kept my door open, um, and I'm talking on the phone, and I hung up and. I'll just say I use some army language. <laughs> um, and the next thing I know, one of my cadets was walking by, and, and she stuck her head in the in the door, and she goes, Sir, are you all right? I had a, I had a pretty good relationship with, with the, the cadets, and, and yeah. we, we got along fine. So she wasn't afraid to stick her head in and say something to me. She said, Sir, are you all right? I said, Yeah, why? Said, now, now I'm confused. What, what did I just do that? She said, I've never heard you use language like that. And that struck struck me as interesting. Um, lead by example. If you want people to recognize you as a good Christian and a good Christian man, then be a good Christian man. Be who you be who you are. If you turn it on and off because you're now you're in church, now you're not. Now you're at work, and and they use a lot of language at work. So I'm going to use the same amount of language you're not who you are or who you want right. to be. So lead by example. Um, be by example. You don't have to be in charge of everything to be a man. You don't have to be in charge of everything to be a leader. But, you know, lead by example. Good. I like it. Appreciate it. So if somebody wants to learn more about what you're doing or about your company or just reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, um... 
probably not go to my website. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not a web designer, although I used to tinker into what you see is what you get stuff. And now they've they've upgraded it so much, I can't keep up with it. So I got a horrible website. I, I got to get that fixed. <laughs> so if anybody's out there listening and wants to tinker with some with the website, I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, uh, you can you go into my Facebook page. I'm trying to get more there. I do have a couple of blogs out you can, that are linked to uh, my Facebook page, which is just Leader Team LLC um, on Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, you can also uh, uh, get me if, uh, uh, I don't know if you're going to have my name spelled correctly on, on your <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, I'll take it right off the card. <laughs> yeah. Ken, Ken.cerny at gmail.com is, uh, send me an email. Um, and that's the easiest way to get me. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm sure you'll have my, some contact awesome. information, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk to people and, and, uh, you know, I really would love to, uh, get a lot more into sharing this with churches and, and, you know, yeah. in a more Christian manner. Absolutely. Because that really is exciting to me yeah. how it can be used. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Glad to have you on. Well, thank you. Cool. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.